today I have Aaron Izzy. Aaron, give us a brief introduction about yourself, mate, and let's get into it. Yeah, mate, um, grew up Northern Rivers, New South Wales, been a police officer in Queensland now since 2009. Uh, spent seven years in Redcliffe, so north side of Brizzy, and after that being with the public safety response team, and obviously that's where um, my injuries and different things have uh, come from. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, I've got to say, mate, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time and I know it's something you haven't been able to really speak about because you've had different pending cases due to this. Um, so, yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm actually quite lost for words just for, you know, how humbled I am to have you a part of this. So welcome, mate. Um, I will start off with just quick five questions just to ease us into it. Um, so quick one, mate. If you're going to the gym, are you someone that prefers to have a coffee or a pre-workout? <laughs> uh, pre-workout, mate. Double dose. Double dose? And what's your favourite pre-workout? Oh, mate, I'm forever trying them all, but there's there's one from um, ASN at the moment. It's an Evolve Avenger range, so I get that into me each morning. An Avenger range? You're talking about like Spider-Man, <laughs> Captain America... That's it, mate. Yeah, Captain America is definitely my favourite, so absolutely. My two-and-a-half-year-old son would love you. He calls me Captain Dad at the moment. He's in love with Captain America. I'm going to have to get this just to just to try it out. Um, if you go to the gym, what's your favourite muscle to work? Uh, mate, probably the shoulders. Um, it tends to mix up a bit, but for me, the shoulders these days, because that was an area I've only just been able to move uh, properly since my accident. So I'm pretty stoked at where that's got to now. Oh, that's great to hear, mate. It's awesome. And I've got to say, you're looking in great shape. Uh, if you get up early in the morning, are you someone that likes to get up, have an early walk, or do you like to go to the beach, go for a dip at the pool? What's your daily routine in the morning these days? Mate, it's straight for the coffee machine. No questions asked. First thing I'm doing uh, from there, yeah, it'll be uh, be up and, and walk the dogs in the morning and uh, see what the day brings. See what the day brings. I like it. I always start my day with a coffee. And just one of those things, I don't know if it's an adult routine or if it's psychological in your head that it's going to wake you up. But it's just, it's just nice to set you off in the right path. Um, all right, mate. Another thing I'd like to ask is if you are washing your hair at night, are you someone that does the shampoo and conditioner routine or you just straight out wash it, salty hair, and you come out of the shower like you don't care? <laughs> it's probably changed over the years, mate, to be honest. But now to just be a shampoo, uh, run it through, and out I get. Having short hair, it doesn't take long to dry, and it's um, almost bedtime. What's the shampoo using these days? I'm uh, I'm using Head and Shoulders. Yeah, very simple. I think um, I think that seems to um, jump out for most men. So pretty simple for me. Exactly the same. <laughs> and what deodorant you spray? Are you a Rex owner man, or are you back in the day links? Oh, back in the early days, definitely links, mate. Um, but these days, it is um, it's the Rex owner roll on. Rex owner roll. I've never got into the roll on. I got to admit, I have to do the spray. I don't know if it's um, just that thing that I think that my my hairs under there are just getting wet and just getting sticky, or if it's uh, the spray is just the easiest way. But I haven't done roll on for about ten years, I reckon. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably the opposite to you in that way. That yeah, I'm, I feel like psychologically I need the roll on to know it's there, ready to go. There you go. The opposites. <laughs> um, now, before we speak about the events that occurred, 
Um, I just want to trickle onto the injuries that you suffered. So just to run down a few, you had a, you had a cracked skull from memory. Um, you had a broken eye socket, a torn rotator calf or calves. Uh, you lost your taste of and also your smell. Is that is that true? Yeah, don't taste both go on. And you had a TBI, so a, a traumatic brain injury of about thirty eight percent brain damage. Yep, correct. Yeah, that's all the testing thirty eight percent. So, so with that, is that causing headaches, dizzy spells, any kind of um, you know memory loss, any of those side effects? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's all of those things. It's like I like to call it it's the hangover effect that sadly lasts forever. Uh, there's no sort of antidote with those things. It's just get used to that sort of pain and work around that as best you can to manage it. Uh, so, and, and this is something that you're being told you're going to have lifelong or short term. What's the diagnosis so far with, with the 38% brain damage? Yeah, so... Um, Obviously, after the accident itself, they, they test you when you first leave hospital and then you can't do any more testing for two years to um, try and the, the neurons to reconnect their pathways in the brain. So after the, the second year of testing, that's where you tend to peak and that's sort of where it's at. Um, so the 38% is what they come up with after the two-year um, personal recovery, I guess. Oh, all right, all right. And, and I do believe you also had a burst eardrum, uh, losing a fair bit of percentage of your hearing. Is that both ears or is, is that just in your left or right? Yeah, that's in my right ear. That's where I um, I guess I landed. Um, well, the, the skull cracked and the, and the ear sort of uh, did its thing there. Um, it bled in hospital for about 10 days and it was a, like a black blood. So it was very strange. And obviously there's a fair bit of sensitivity around the ears just when you um, when you touch them at all. But um, I mean, I try and find a positive with most things. And, you know, I've lost a fair bit of hearing in that. But, um, you know, when I, when I don't want to, listen to what the missus are saying, I might turn my right ear her way and keep nodding. <laughs> I turn it into a positive, I like it. Um, and your your motor skills, so like your phone motor skills, I'm not, not just talking about driving a car, because I do believe you can't drive a vehicle, you had your driver's license taken off, you were, were talking about um, earlier that you weren't aware that you had you know, your driver's license taken away. But your fine motor skills, so your your line of sight, you 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 know you talk about your shoulder, you got your shoulder now into a good condition where you can train. Are you finding the impacts of th- these injuries are affecting any of your movements at all at the moment? Um, a lot of probably the best way to put it down to is um, when fatigue's at its highest. That's when I sort of recognise things are missing it's not it's not the line of sight or anything along those lines it's probably basic things like potentially uh holding a a, a coffee mug um you know i might uh, take two times to pick it up when i'm fatigued at night and especially with shift work it's obviously um it's raised at a higher level um so yeah it's just about managing those things but yeah even just being tired and I'll be walking to a doorway and it's it's very open, but I'll still manage to either find my left or right shoulder or bump it. Now, I don't know how that's happened. The doorway's, you know, pretty open, but yeah, that's a, that's a big thing for me too that I get frustrated at myself at. And when you talk about the frustration, have you got things in place, you know, to overcome that? Certain coping ne- mechanisms that you're finding help you understand that your body's not always going to be where it once was? 
Yeah, I think that's something I've learned over the last couple of years. I'm probably my own uh, worst enemy or uh, harshest judge, I guess, is I guess I know what I was like prior to the injury. I come from quite a sort of athletic um, sporting background prior to policing just my whole life. So I knew what my skill set was prior and my ability and getting my head around the fact that I'm no longer that person uh, and I just have to be a bit more gentle on myself instead of, you know, beating myself up at things and understand, all right, let's go through it again. So for me, it's just little basic timeouts. It might be, uh, you know, uh, 30 seconds of just sort of staying quiet, thinking about it and going going through it all again and have another go. Uh, but yeah, that's that's about as good as it gets for me. Just have that little me time and that little breather and go again. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to hear. And, and I told you before, your mindset is at a different level to what I was expecting it to be, let alone yourself and, and your loved ones. Um, I know that you're a father. Um, you've obviously got a partner that you care for and, and I know Claire cares for you a lot as well, mate. It's it's something that um, you've overcome and you're dealing with it. You've got coping mechanisms in place. And just so you're aware and all the listeners are aware, I've started with the injuries first with this podcast without telling anyone Aaron's story just yet because I think to understand what he's gone through, what's happened is is so important. Um, so Aaron was was on the job and mate, you you do I know that you don't remember any of this, but you tell your story better than anyone. So you were on shift. Give us a, a rough date and a rough time when this took place and you were on pursuit. Um, and I know that you, you got out of the vehicle thinking that this person in particular had stopped and uh, just just take us back to these select moments if you don't mind. Yeah, mate, um, as you sort of touched on, obviously I've got no memory. So uh, me uh, having an understanding of that's from obviously the boys that were working the night and obviously the video evidence and the court evidence that was there. So just as, as you touched on, just a uh, standard night shift, start shift, go and get a coffee, make sure you're caffeinated for night shift to get you through. Had a piece of rocky road. For me, I'm probably pretty stoked I did because, you know, it's the last thing I ever smelt and tasted. So... You know, if, if you got, get told you can only ever eat one more thing, it's probably not a bad thing to go out on in that regard. Um, but yeah, just uh, traveling after a vehicle, early September 2018, it was just after Father's Day. So I'd said goodbye to the kids, I think, um, prior to that shift. Um, being a separated father, I was heading back to Brisbane, did that shift. Um, yeah, as I said, I got the coffee and uh, had that the uh i guess the, the rocky road and all of a sudden i woke up 10 days later but uh from what i was told as you touched on we went after a, a, a stolen vehicle uh that vehicle you know got away uh we eventually found that vehicle a bit later in an industrial estate it was sort of backed up against the corner and to understand those sort of um things happen quite often in our type of work and the first thing that an offender will do is dump the car and run when they realize they've got nowhere to go so my mindset was once that vehicle was trapped in to jump out of the vehicle and go after the offenders you know we're wearing 20 kilos of extra kit and a set of boots on they're usually dressed up and they're TNs ready to run so I got out of the vehicle unfortunately it had about another meter to travel uh, sorry, to manoeuvre its way out of there and drove straight at me as I got out of the vehicle. So 
Um, hearing from the boys that were there, they sort of screamed my name, saw the headlights coming towards them and obviously expected the worst um, from the, um, obviously, the, the footage and them telling me. I've done a handstand onto the bonnet of that vehicle, collected the windscreen and flipped onto the roof. Uh, that vehicle continued to drive at speed until I flipped off the roof into the gutter and then it just took off from that location and was later dumped. Um, the boys found me in the gutter uh, and um, I think that's where all the, the media sort of got hold of the recordings from there that shows me um, sitting in the side of the road and being treated. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. That's the only footage that I've, um, I've been able to see. Uh, and oh, I just, I, I still remember even before you and I spoke or, or even connected and, and, and that's obviously through through Wilder Haas but when we were connecting and we were speaking um, I remember seeing you not too long on I think it was Channel 7 and you were just starting to go through the courts and this is going back is this 18 months ago from memory and I know that you said that you got memory loss but your memory is actually better than mine when it comes to you know obviously this kind of stuff um, and I, I just remember talking to my mum about it and my mum was following your journey as well and what had happened and yeah, it was just so surreal um, just to know what had happened, what had occurred and how this person was, I don't know what, you know, he's going through their minds at the time, but to drive away from something like that. He obviously felt the connection. He's heard you bounce off the car um, I, I do, I do, I do know for a fact that when you did the handstand, you left Hulk-like prints in the guy's bonnet, um, and yeah, it's just obviously reconnecting all those thoughts and reconnecting what's happened from everyone that's telling you this story. Has it been able to place things together for you to put things in perspective of your own? Like, have you been able to remember glimpses of it or are you just running off the, the, the fuel that other people have told you what's happened? No, I've, I've literally got nothing. Um, and I think that's, it's frustrating from my end. But, and I think for a lot of people, that was why they were hesitant to tell me is they thought it might bring back flashbacks and um, cause some issues for me. But yeah, even seeing the footage that I have seen, having heard the stories from the boys involved, I've literally got not one memory of that whole night other than walking out of the coffee shop, mate. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a blank for me for, as I said, sort of 10 days and even those Apache once I'm awake from that period. Yeah, yeah, I, I know you're saying you're out for 10 days and so we're, we're skipping through now the 10-day mark after the event, after the this incident has occurred. You've woken up and... You don't know where you are. You you actually think that um, someone's come into your home and has clobbered you and taken as much stuff as they can, ransacked, so to speak. Is that is that how it went down after you woke up in hospital? I know that you're a little bit delirious um, in ICU. Yeah, mate. Um, my first memory is um, sitting in ICU. Um, I was sitting in a in, in a grey t-shirt, and I remember looking down at it and. Um, I didn't have control, I guess, of my face at all, so I, or my mouth, so I was just dribbling, drooling all over my shirt. I remember my sister walking around the corner, and um, I just remember looking at her and just saying, sorry, I didn't know why I was in hospital, I just knew she was from Melbourne. If she's there, then something's happened, and um, yeah, just broke down and 
apologised to her and obviously knew nothing about why I was in there at all. Um, I had I had tubes coming out of me left, right, centre, sitting in a wheelchair, and no one was able to explain to me anything. Yeah, which I know is it's it's frustrating, and I, I know that they sort of went along your, your colleagues with a bit of a story, um, and they they couldn't or they they didn't want to tell you at the certain time of what had happened. Um, do you think this was to help you with your recovery or try and jog your memory or you, you're still not 100% sure why they couldn't tell you what had happened? Uh, I think it would be a mixture of, of, I guess, any studies that are out, I guess, about the brain and how you can potentially um, make your own sort of mind up once you get bits and pieces. But I guess the other part of that would be the fact it was going to be treated as a criminal proceeding. So for evidence purposes, a lot of it probably couldn't be said. Yeah. Um, which would have been hard for your colleagues as well. I'm sure a lot of them would have just wanted to, you know, to ask if you're all right. Do you remember what had happened? This is what we saw happen. I'm, I'm sure they were itching at the bit um, to tell you, um, which leads me on your sister that came all the way from Melbourne to see you in the hospital. Um, was she able to tell you what she had heard or had she been told don't talk about what's happened at Aaron just yet. We need him to start his recovery before we fill him in in all the gaps. Yeah, I believe everyone that was close to me had been um, briefed the same um, story in the way of not giving me the information and seeing what I... Oh, Aaron, we have just lost you on the line for, for a brief second. Um, hopefully you come back soon. Uh, you you were just you were just explaining how everyone was briefed not to fill you in just yet. Um, reflecting on this, and I know that this has now gone through the courts, and and for for everyone, um, Aaron hasn't been able to tell his story the way that he's wanted to, um, legal reasons, and obviously the court procedure and everything is now finally come to a close. And um, it's fair to say you're fairly at peace with with what's happened. Um, have you spoken to your sister since and, and how she dealt with all that emotion of not being able to tell you everything as soon as she saw you or it's not something that you guys have actually spoken about just yet? Uh, to be honest, um, she, her living in Melbourne, um, me, I guess, still going through my recovery and the criminal side of things, other than talking on social media, uh, that's probably been about it too much. It's it's not really a conversation I want to have on the phone. I prefer to have face-to-face and obviously... Um, COVID in the current times have sort of affected interstate travel. So hopefully Christmas time this year will be a chance to have a bit of a chat. And I bet this new year that's coming up, as you said, we have been restricted and at a time where you probably needed family support the most. Um, how much are you looking forward to, to seeing your family again, knowing in the, the place that you are now, knowing that you can now start to put this all behind you? Is it such relief knowing that we're going forward, not just as a world, but also your your journey? It's it's nearly hit like a reset and you, you know that it's just going to get better. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right there up until it was only um, two weeks ago now that all the court matters are finally settled, both criminally and civilly. And um, it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, I always had continual things to work towards where 
I could have little wins, but I couldn't celebrate, so to speak, because I'd have to worry about the next task that was happening and obviously bite my tongue in regards to a lot of different things. So it will be good to, I guess, sit back at Christmas time, hopefully, and um, reflect on all of it and start turning it into more of a bit of a, a laugh and, uh, you know, a milestone in life in general. I tend to get through things with a bit of black humour and um, that's probably what I need with um, such a sort of deep matter that occurred. Yeah, you've always got such a, a positive attitude since I've known you and um, it, honestly, it's been amazing to, you know, jump on this journey with you to a degree and, and see the mix, the raw emotions, everything that you've had to encounter right when one court case finishes and another reopens up. He's had different sentences sort of, you know, thrown at him and then he's jumped at other sentences that he's been offered, um, which has kind of exposed this certain person as well as to his and, and what, you know, he was in for and, and, and doing. Um, going back, obviously, to this particular night and and all this is, has gone on, your colleagues, how are your colleagues at the moment? Have you been able to speak to them? Have you been able to connect with them? Are they okay? Because even someone that can remember the whole process, and even though they weren't exactly the ones hit by the car, they have gone through a traumatic experience themselves. Yeah, mate. Um, Luke, uh, who was the driver of our vehicle, he's, um, he's my best mate. Um, we, we spent many years at Redcliffe working together prior to us both getting into the unit that we're in. Um, the other bloke, uh, Butsy, he, um, he was a friend prior, but he's an even greater friend as a result of that. I think it's brought all of us closer and um, I certainly carry a lot of personal guilt from the whole matter. Um, they've both been diagnosed with, um, with PTSD as a result. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I certainly... I guess take blame for that because that sort of occurred through what they witnessed uh, occur on the night. Yeah, you, you should never feel like you're wearing the blame. Um, they were they were obviously a massive part of it and they're going to be a big part of your life. Um, you know, if, if anything, they probably feel connected to you on a deeper level now, um, you know, being there. You not something that you train for when you first join the police you're not ever told that this is going to happen or i know they always talk about the risks and and they talk about certain factors but you never think it's going to happen to you i think is what i'm trying to say more importantly um how did you find the the police system in general with their support after such you know such a traumatic event that's happened um, yeah, that's, I guess, still a touchy subject for me, for my close friends that are in the service, that are in different roles and things like that. They've been great for their personal support, their contact. Um, but for the, I guess, overall police service in general, it's certainly, um, for me personally, highlighted that you are just a number and you're easily replaced. And um, that's what, I guess, they're... Um, I guess behaviour all the way along is highlighted for me. So it's just about having, making sure you've got the right people in your corner, both in the job and outside the job to help get you through the times because um, it's times like that when you really need them and that's what gets you through. Oh, yeah. I, I, um, I, I do get lost for words talking to you and, and I've, I've told you this before, you know, um, even prior to this podcast, it's it's going to be hard for, you know, for you to do the podcast, but it's going to be just as hard for me because it's hit so many different heartstrings. Um, 
and you know the support is a big thing when you've got your work colleagues there and you've got your mates when they get around you and they help you through the dark times you know they're your mates for life there is no perfect workplace that is going to support you um the way that you should be supported so for anyone you know and i know that i've had a few military people that follow the wilder page um that want to reach out to aaron aaron is he's open like he's he's here to talk about his story not just on this podcast but to to talk to you guys as well so you know send him a dm um tell him about something that you've gone through send him a, a message of you know any kind he's he's definitely here to have a chat not just on this podcast as i was saying before which which brings me to a a certain moment um and we've sort of spoken about you being on the life support you actually were nearly might have been day three gonna have the plug pulled and you had family um you had work colleagues and they were told to come say goodbye um and you told me that you remember a distinct moment throughout this period do you want to sort of talk about how you were feeling um the way that you you know i know that you had this switch in your mind no this is not it for me and you sort of come through at the other end and here we are today but but tell us the the ricks the mixed emotions that were running through you on day three on life support um yeah this is something i guess i found out once i'd returned to work from my boss who um accidentally let it slip so he was called in um with my direct family to the um the main doctor's area and informed that they'd done uh, the three days worth of testing on the brain and there was absolutely no movement, no activity at all, and that they were um, they were turning life support off. So as you touched on, yeah, it was to have my close friends and family come in and, um, I guess, say goodbye. Um, and I can still pinpoint that, although I was unconscious at the time, it's still to this day, clear as day, um, that I was met. Uh, by my my grandfather who has passed and um, mates that are, who have passed away um, throughout their lifetime from different different incidents and I, it was a calm feeling I could see them clear as day their bodies and they just my pop said that I'm I'm proud of you and um, just to just to go with them and that um, the, my fight was over and you know congratulated me and it was quite it was it was a calm feeling and you know they were as i said they were all there in a group and they were just trying to get me to go with them and um i just flat out refused to as much as i wanted to i, I chose not to and um yeah that was funny enough day three when they were turning it all off and that was the point when i um i woke up from it sat upright gave someone an absolute gob for and then i went this again for um a good couple of days and the doctors were freaked out i guess because there was no um there was no signs of life at all um so everyone aaron you know turning something into a little bit more of a positive because he's, he's hit the road in the fork he's made his decision you've had that moment with your with your grandpa which is you know they, they talk about these these moments when you have a, a near-death experience um, and this is something that's never, ever going to leave you. And you'll probably connect with your grandfather one day again and have a laugh about it. Um, but Aaron wasn't the easiest patient. He's woken up and given someone a spray. And even when you were coming to in ICU, you gave everyone a bit of a run for their money. They were not expecting you to be showing the signs of strength that you were showing and the fight that you were putting in to tell everyone that you're not done yet. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, as I said, I was sort of waking up at certain points. Apparently, I've raised my leg up and I've kicked someone in the ribs. Um, I think it was at that point then that they realised they had had to uh, hog tie my legs and my arms to the hospital bed. Uh, and I was snapping sort of through those as well, I guess. I was in my fight for life, I guess. So that was someone holding me down that I thought I had to fight off. And uh, I guess that brings me to when I did wake up, why I thought I was um, home invaded and tied up. It all aligned for me. Yeah, and it all painted a, a picture in your head of what had happened. And you truly believe that is exactly how it happened and how it occurred. And nothing else made sense to you apart from what you had made up in your own mind. Yeah, absolutely. Once I was awake, I guess I was flying a little bit in a way because I, I had no pain. I was so high on medication and no one corrected the things that I was saying. Um, so I just was made to believe that that happened and they were to go ahead with that. So, yeah, I made up my own story and went ahead with it. And um, <laughs> that's that. <laughs> and let's skip a, a little bit of you know um you being in icu coming through um and talk a little bit more about oh, i suppose the things that you had lost so you've had this injury you've had this traumatic experience you've been in hospital you've shown some fight you're proving so many doctors and so many specialists wrong and then as your mind is ticking over and, and you've got this whole story and everything's sort of coming together you were finding out certain things while you're on life support for example they'd cancelled your driver's license yeah um yeah now is this due to your your motor skills or is this due to policy or how does that in line with everything yeah it's in in regards to policy serious head injuries and things like that Uh, uh, apparently i've had seizures whilst i'm unconscious that's an automatic ban in queensland um a driver's license uh for or you're assessed that period's one year for you, um, for your normal license to get back, which still to this day is a conditional license. That condition being that I go and see the doctor each year and just update them on my health. However, as far as a commercial vehicle, that being a police vehicle, emergency vehicle, I cannot drive one of them for 10 years. So it has stunted any, I guess, career progression in the future. Yes, yes, because it's something that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think of because you, you have ambitions when you, you join such, you know, a workplace like the police. You, you want to make your way up the ranks. There's different avenues you can, you know, you can take when you're in the police um, and you were doing, you know, you're, you're still so young. You were doing such a great job in your career and, you know, getting the opportunity to, to do so many different things. You talk about the progression stop. Have they or anyone from the workplace spoken to you about your progression period after this injury and the recovery process? Or is that not a conversation that you've had just yet? Uh, still to this day, like I, I guess there's a generalisation understanding from myself. You know, I was an acting sergeant Redcliffe years before I um, went to PSRT. And when you're in that position, you tend to be as a supervisor in a car on your own. So common sense for me suggested that my career progression wasn't really uh, a position to have as far as those chats are concerned i guess i'm probably now open to that now that the um court matters are finally over it means i can now think about other things i've never been able to get to that point because i've had so much behind the scenes to have to reorganize and shift while still managing uh, full-time work and kids so <laughs> having so much on your plate and i guess doing a lot of that on your own over the years um 
yeah, has finally got me to the point where I can sit down, breathe, and reassess where I'm at. I like that. Breathe. Because you can. You, you can breathe in a bit more fresh air. You can take a big breath. You've, you've, you've overcome the biggest obstacle that I believe that you're going to face in your life. You, you're there. Um, and I know how much your kids mean to you. So, so just to give everyone a bit more of an understanding, you were living at this time, you're at a hospital now, you're, you're living north side of Brisbane. Your kids are how far away when they're staying at their mother's? Uh, they were on the Gold Coast. So uh, from the north side of Brisbane over, driving is probably an hour and a half. In a train is a fair bit more, which is how I, I guess, had to commute down there without a licence. Yeah. How did you find the commute? Were you looked after from your workplace in that regards, you know, like a, a travel card or anything to help you get from place to place? Or were you given a select few taxi vouchers that you could see your kids or, or help this process run a bit more freely for you? Um, absolutely nothing. I, I was stuck on my own there. I'd reached out to the, to the right people who you know, weren't of any assistance and I certainly didn't have an advocate in my corner that was able to, I guess, do the talking for me whilst I was trying to recover. I should have been focusing on the recovery, not also having to fight all those things. So I was left with no choice but to, um, you know, walk walk to the train station in summer and keep in mind, I'd only just learned to walk again. So I was walking there, I'd catch a train, um, stand up on the train, usually due to how packed it was, um, yeah. off in the Brisbane city, then catch another uh, one down to the Gold Coast just to see the kids. And um, I'd get there and I was physically exhausted through fatigue. Um, so yeah, you know, they were excited to see me and I just didn't have the energy, but I had to, I guess, find a, a way to just go, well, no, they, they are my purpose, they're my reason. So I just need to, to get it done and keep going. And you and you did, you you did it for them. I know that we've had numerous conversations that they were your reason to pick yourself back up. Um, they were, you know, your reason to, to get up every morning and to continue doing what you're doing today. Um, Tell us about your bond with your kids, how it is now. Do they understand what's happened to their dad? Do they understand um, all the court matters and, and how they, you know, in so many ways nearly lost you, not just as a father, but as a person, as a mentor, so many different things that kids look up to as, as needing as a father? Um, I guess that's changed as they've got a bit older now. My daughter's eight, my son's six. My daughter at the time was in prep, so she was uh, four and a half, five years old when it all happened. Um, and as I said, I sort of left there the day before. Um, we had a Father's Day thing down at her school at the time, and that was their last um, time seeing me. The next time they see me is when I'm on life support. And from the information I'm told from my sister there, um, they were holding my hand, which was warm. And obviously, I was unconscious. They were talking to me. And I obviously, you know, um, being a life support, couldn't talk back. And they kept asking everyone around, what, what have we done wrong to daddy? He won't um, he won't talk to us. What's wrong? So I guess I, again, I sort of beat myself up that way a little bit in regards to what they seen and had to process in their mind. And I certainly remember when I first saw them, once I was awake, the fear in their eyes with so many tubes coming out of me. They've never seen daddy in a wheelchair. They've never seen anything. And seeing that fear that they had, I absorbed all of that and just went, I don't care, so what happens, I'll, I'll be out of this thing and I'll be, you know, I'll be living a life with them running around. Um, 
But as far as these days, I've certainly explained as best I can in their words. But, um, I mean, we could be at a local park uh, these days and just be standing there with any parents that I don't know. And the kids will run up to me and go, oh, do you know my daddy has a brain injury? Uh, and the other parents go, well, hi, I'm uh, with a brain injury. So they out me. That's their way, I guess, of processing it as best they can. And, um, yeah, I guess get older, they'll do their best. Uh, yeah, it's uh, kids have such a different way of coping to things, and they probably get a little bit of, from your darker sense of humor. They've probably taken that a little bit and implicated it into their own lives where they can sort of reflect and, and have a bit of a smile about it. Because you, you never want to, you know, your kids to see you knocked down the way, the way that you had been. Um, but credit to you man like you know you speak about that moment with your grandfather you know day three um in your coma it's probably you know your your little ones holding your hands that pulled you the other way that fork of the road they're probably the ones that steered you come back they're you know they've they've inlined you where you need to be where you had to be um and you know as you said they're the reason why you jumped on that train uh and, and had to catch two different ones just to see them even though you were deflated and, and you felt like every time they saw you, probably letting them, them down because you, you got no energy, you're lethargic, you're, you're not the person that you once were, they could see that you were bouncing back. Um, and, you know, you're going to have a, a great bond with them for, for the rest of their lives. They will never forget this. Um, and I hope, you know, one day they get to listen to this podcast and, and they can know how, you know, how proud of them that you are as a father and you know that they are your reason yeah absolutely that's um that's all i can hope for i guess and um yeah it brings tears to my eyes my eyes when you summarize it that way but that was certainly my intention oh it brings tears to both of our eyes man uh, being a father myself it's uh i just i, I try to put myself in your shoes and and i just can't um i break down even thinking about everything and and the process of, of it all um, you know, you living in north side of Brisbane on your own, um, having to, to overcome all this, you know, never know you had your mates, you had family, but we're, we're in times where you can't travel interstate. It's, it's not the same, um, which, which brings me to, to Claire, who's your, your partner um, at the moment and the support and the love that she's shown. Tell us a little bit now that you're coming into, you know, a, a daily routine, you're coming back to life, how important having a rock such as Claire has been in your life. Yeah, she's, um, yeah, she's pretty amazing. Um, I'm, I've, I guess where I had that recovery in those um, quiet days, I guess, on my own where I sort of weighed up, what do I want out of life? Who do I want beside me and what's important to me? Um so I certainly went into any potential relationships with just heart on my sleeve, open honesty, being vulnerable. Um, and yeah, that's, um, <laughs> she blows my socks off. It's, um, yeah, it's awesome. She's, uh, she's been around for, you know, about 10 months now and, um, hopefully by my side for the rest of my life, um, you know, we certainly push each other. We've got the same sort of passions, uh, in health and fitness and, um, always sort of pushing each other for, um, uh, continual growth in life but having her there having her understand things having her understand without me having to say anything when she sees me a certain way to I guess take over is um, 
all I can ever ask for. She's a, she's a dream in that way. Yeah, and and she's just gone pro. She got a pro card as well. You talk about being into the, the you know you love and your health and your fitness. Um, it's cool that you've found someone that's also got that passion and is going to you know drive you to strive for more. So um, credit to you, Claire, for for helping out Aaron. Credit to everyone that's helped out Aaron as well. That's that's been there every step of you know of his way. Um, now I have reached out via my socials for questions for anyone that wants to ask you anything in particular uh i'm not going to go through them all because there's there's all sorts of different questions that people have for you but i will say for anyone that wants to and i've said it through the podcast already if you want questions asked or if you want to talk to aaron directly he's going to be tagged in the link like i tag everyone else their instagram tag send him a dm ask him a question reach out he's more than happy to answer questions over the, you know, the next week or two um but one of the questions and it's an interesting one uh the person that had done this hit and run, have you ever had contact with them since? And I know that's only brief, these court cases, but have you had any contact with them since or been able to face them face-to-face since uh, since all this has gone down? No, mate. I um, only knew the, the bloke's name itself through, I guess, the media. Um, and my first uh, and only time I, I um, have seen him was literally in the court matter itself. He was less than a couple of metres uh, sort of in front of me for the, the trial itself. And, um, well, for the matter itself, I sat there and I guess looked over a couple of times and I got to hear his whole sort of story about life and where he'd come from and what he'd done. And I sort of shook my head in, um, I guess the lifestyle he had was, you know, pretty privileged as opposed to me. And, you know, that's the path he chose, but, um, you know, it's one of those things. I don't hold any grudges, anything like that. It's happened now. That's not going to change. So that's the sort of thing you sign up for when you do our job. You hope it never happens. But you know, holding on to any hate or you know anger is is only going to be detrimental to yourself. So no contact with him, um, and uh, hopefully is has his own recovery and um, and rehabilitates rehabilitates himself as best he can. Yeah, totally different recovery than what you've gone through, but it's a structure of his mind and, and you know, needing to do better. So you do, it is a recovery. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to hear you say, you know, the words that you put together. You're very collective. You're very, you're very cool. You're very calm, um, which makes you such, such an amazing person. Uh, never lose that. <laughs> never, never lose that, Aaron. Um, and now another question that someone's asked, and it's, it's got to do with your recovery and the whole process. How did you go about with your recovery plan? Did you have to fund a lot of it yourself or was work there to pick up the pieces when it came to certain things as well? So how did you do your recovery, mate? Was it bits of pieces where work said you need to tick these boxes? Uh, the doctor said you need to tick these boxes or was it Aaron saying, I need to tick these boxes? Uh, it was a bit of a mixture. I know once I was, once I learned to walk and talk again and I was up, um, I just wanted to continue being the goal setter I am, continue to tick boxes as I went along would go, what do I need to do to get back to work? What do I need to do here? So I just keep uh, outlining those things. Um, I didn't get work cover. Um, that's probably the most astonishing thing out of all of that. I think when you, um, you have a yeah, at work, um, as serious as mine that you would be covered but um 
unfortunately I've, I've funded all of my own recovery um there was a, a company called NISQ that come into hand. Um, they've only been in since late 2016, but they're still guessing what what their job is themselves. Um, and certainly the support wasn't there. And, you know, it's cost me personally a lot of money over the years to fund myself and still trying to, I guess, get back on my feet um, from all of those matters. Yeah, which is still out, outstanding today. And, you know, I've, I've got to say, keep grinding away at it because the recovery that you've undertaken is, in my eyes, the best recovery for you because the person that you are today is unreal. Um, it is disappointing to hear that you weren't covered with work cover to the, you know to this extent because I truly believe that this has happened in your workplace. This has happened... Um, out of your, you know, your hands, you wouldn't never want this to happen on, on anyone. Um, even the, the exposure that you got on, in the media, your name ruled everywhere on social media. You just put your name into Google and you come up with a million different pages. Um, you know, you get anyone for that. So, you know, that's why I'm, I'm telling people to reach out to you because I want to ask you, where does Aaron see himself? in the next few years. I personally see you undertaking a personal development sort of role or a life coach role to help people that suffer with PTSD or work-related injuries. Can you see yourself undertaking this kind of path or it's still very murky for, for you to see where you want to head in this direction right now? Uh, I guess for me, it, it's certainly nerve-wracking. I've, I've done, I'm in my 13th year of policing now. Um, I don't have you know, a trade behind me or any sort of uh, study in that regard. So, yeah, it's certainly um, chewed up a, a large part of my my adulthood so far working in the police. But um, I guess after my first media sort of um, chats, um, I had a lot of people that I didn't know reach out, um, both from the police service and just from other walks of life um, that had their own stories and all of a sudden I found myself listening to them giving them basic advice and before I knew it I um I, I started to become I guess uh you know just a friend or a basic counselor or an ear that I could um just be there for other people because I would have loved that for myself and um future wise I certainly yeah long term I see myself in a position like that I think the realistic um option is that my body can't you know, it's done well to get to where it's got to, but it can't continue with shift work and the, I guess the type of work I do for long term. So it's about looking into the future and um, yeah, do it, putting my, my best foot forward for anyone that has got any type of, I guess, ideas, suggestions um, to go into other things. And my mind's certainly open to, um, as you said, those, those type of roles. Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure having you a part of this podcast. Um, I think you've helped me more through this podcast than, than I've helped you. you. You definitely steered me in the right direction, mate, because it's, it's so raw, it's so emotional, it's still so new what's, what's all occurred to you. And just to listen to you speak, it just gives me a greater understanding in, in how good someone can be. Um, and I know that shaped you to be a better person, but proud of who you are. Um, you, doing a terrific job keep grinding away whatever you choose to do over the next year or two or five years um i hope it is for you and i hope you're happy with it uh keep living life keep training and just keep inspiring for everyone that's listening as well you know just 
you're not always going to get the help that you probably should if you get injured in your workplace. Um, find the right avenues, find the right people and just connect the dots with who's going to help enlighten yourself. And Aaron, you've done a great job in doing that. I'm not going to say much more. I'm just going to say thank you. And, uh, and I'll, I'll see everyone else later on. No, dramas, mate. Appreciate the time. <laughs> you take care, mate. Bye.